0: Hello, and welcome to the Changing the Perception of Sales podcast series three. Last year, we spoke to SDRs, BDRs, and people earlier on in their sales careers about their journeys, tips, and why people should get into the industry. This year, we'll be speaking with sales and business leaders about their journeys, how they've made their success, and their insights into sales as an industry, especially what needs to be done to change the perception of sales. I'm Lizzie.
1: I'm Kyle, and still for far too long, people have just been falling into sales. Through this podcast, and by having conversations with industry leaders, we're looking to continue to change the perception of sales and make it a career of choice. On today's episode, we're joined by Paul Cheatham-Carts, founder of award-winning advisory firm Sedulo and host of his own podcast, Taking Care of Business. On the episode, Paul talks us through his journey from founding the business, and we discuss how sales specifically has helped build it into the business that it is today. We also touch on what it takes to become a high performer in whatever it is that you do and how to build personal resilience. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of a Change the Perception of Sales podcast. And today, delighted to say that we are joined by Paul cheetham Cars. Paul, thank you very much for joining us today. No worries.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolute pleasure. And to get things off, Paul, just for the listeners, um, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about who you are. So,
0: as we were just talking a bit earlier, I'm an accountant, and uh, a lot of people say I'm not your typical accountant, which is a I take as a compliment. Um, but yeah, no, we are fortunate enough that I've been able to work on a number of businesses from my, all different, you know, from consumer brands to uh, marketing agencies, and I've helped grow them, sell them, floated some. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the firm that I've got now, Sedulo, that I founded 13 years ago has got getting close to 200 advisors, and we do everything from stocks to mortgages to accountancy to selling businesses, mergers, acquisitions, we do everything across four cities, Uh, and we've got a pretty cool client base, whether it's individual um, athletes, sports stars, entertainers, or it's some of the more corporate businesses that we work with that are also doing pretty well and in great sectors.
1: Brilliant. Nice one, Paul. And we'll come on to Shadulo and I guess the journey um, of the business as well shortly, but I guess to address the elephant in the room, what you said at the beginning there is you're an accountant, and I'm sure people listening to this are probably thinking – Kyle, Lizzie, why have you got an accountant on a podcast about sales? So I guess to kick things off, quite a broad question. What are your thoughts and opinions on on sales in the industry as a whole?
0: Well, I think the first thing is, is there seems to be like, um, there seems to be a dirty word in some areas or or a word, if you like, that people are scared of. And we have discussed this in the past, Kyle, which is probably why you've got me on. But the reason, the thing about it is, is, is that when you're in sales you can't avoid accountability right now I work in lots of organizations now where the more mediocre individual or the me- more mediocre organization what they try to move away from is accountability because because it highlights performance which is something I know we're gonna talk about in a little bit so for me I'm a business owner and I founded businesses and the reality of it is it doesn't matter whether I'm an accountant a head of technology, uh, a great fashion designer, as soon as I've planted the seed, right, and I always look at businesses growing them as like trees, and I'm pretty weird with like analogies and <laughs> pictures in my head, but it's like a tree. And the seed of any business is the idea, right? That's the, That's That's the seed of the tree. But once you've got the seed in the ground, it needs water. And to me, that's what sales is. Because the minute you turn off the water, the tree dies. The minute you turn off the sales, the company dies, right? So that's how important sales is. And uh, I don't think people look down on sales, because I think some people have that mythology, if you like, or ideology that they look down on sales. And I don't think anybody does, because they'd be stupid. You know, if a tree looks down on water, it's pretty stupid. The reality of it is, is though, it's, they're scared of it. A lot of people who are non-sales are scared of sales because it gives you such accountability. Now, the first thing I've got to do as a business owner is I've got to come up with why I'm doing it. I've got to come up with my idea. I've got to come up with a purpose. I've got to come up with why I'm going to leave a bit of job to go and set up any type of business. And the first day when I've set all that up, I've got to sell. So I can't say, well, I'm an accountant. I'm not a salesperson. Because in reality, when I look at where I am today, and it's been slightly different along the journey, but probably I've been more of a salesperson than I have been an accountant, even though I own and run an accountancy, or a finance firm, which accountancy is now a part of. Um, and that's what I think about sales. It's the lifeblood behind every single business. As Soon as it stops, it's game over, right? So um, the only reason people avoid sales, and i've got people who are putting managerial positions in leadership positions i don't have anybody in their job spec who's a leader in this organization that doesn't have winning new business how can you go to a table say you're my head of wealth management we have a wealth team here now how can he possibly go and wait for everybody else in my picture in my head to bring the food to the table for him he has to go out and he has to win he has to go out and win work he has to lead by example so all leader positions in my organization having the job spec, you have to do new business and win new business.
1: I love the analogies, by the way, with the tree. I'm sure we'll get plenty more analogies as the uh, conversation goes uh, goes on as well, Paul. Um, but just coming back to what you said then, you said sales is the lifeblood of any business and, and love that and completely agree. But where were you first introduced to sales? Because this is probably our perception of maybe accountants as well, but we would think that most accountants don't sell most accounting firms, don't choose to have a sales team. Um, And it seems like pretty early on, you were aware that that was going to be integral to to your success. So where did your first exposure to to sales even ever come
0: from? And the thing is, right, you don't know you're selling. Most of the time you don't know you're selling. So I remember being in my um, second job that I had as an accountant and I worked for an accounting firm and I didn't like my job, right? It was boring. I didn't like the clients I was working on. So I've got a choice to do here. If I'm not a salesperson, I have to wait to do the work of what people are going to feed me. Or I have to eat the food that people are going to feed me. Now, I like what I like. So if I want to go to a certain place, I've got to be able to afford the money to go to that place. If I want to work on a day-to-day basis in a job that I like doing, the best thing I can do is be in control of it. And the easiest way to be in control of that is to win my own work. So when I was at a job, and I've only ever had two jobs, Push trolleys, actually. That was my first job at b and in b and car park. But the two proper jobs I had after that, um, I didn't like my second accountancy job working in a practice. So what do you do? You whinge and moan about it, or you leave. Or in that environment, I decided to be the person that would create a service and go and sell it so I could work on the work I wanted to do with the clients I wanted to work with. So at that point, and I didn't realize I was being a salesperson then, I just went out, created a a service provision that they didn't have, and I went out and sold it. And I did that for about 18 months, and I developed a department that I wanted to work on, work I wanted to work on, clients I wanted to work on. And I I effectively had my own little business unit within that team. And I quite enjoyed that for 18 months, but then I thought, if I'm doing this on my own, for them, I might as well go and do my own thing. And as I said earlier, then you plant the seed. You're going to do your own business. Day one, you've got a business card. You've got a brand. You've got a purpose. You believe in it. What, what are you going to do next? You've got to get some income. And so you've got to sell. You have no option, no alternatives, but to go out and sell. And so that's what you do. So what do we do at that point? I don't know. I'm 28 years old. I'm an accountancy firm. I was only accountancy firm. And um, I have a black book of no one. And so I then start going, what are the different strategies? How can I get, how can I sell? I joined the Chamber of Commerce and I joined some of that stuff, but that doesn't work. I had a website, but too many people in business rely on the website being the sales team. Too many people do that because it's the easy way out. Then it's the website's fault, it's traffic's fault, it's online's fault, it's the web dev agency's fault, it's somebody else's fault. I'd rather it be my fault. Right, because then I'm going to make it work. It's my fault. So then I just decided. So I did all that, and I did all the branding and all the all the easy bits. And then I started to send out e-shots or send out letters. And we started actually. I picked an industry, restaurants. Um, I used to be I used to be the accountant for a club called the Circle Club in Manchester, which used to be way back 15 years ago, probably now was the 17 years ago it was the only private members club. Um, So I started to go, okay, that's my niche. Let let me do a niche. So a niche then went to every restaurant and bar in Manchester with a set of false accounts, posted them through the door, and then rang them the next day. And one of them signed, and he was about 800 quid a month. Um, So that was my first client. And then they worked with a creative, and he signed, and he was my second client. He was 50 quid a month. And I was absolutely buzzing to sign him, 50 (laughs) quid a month. Because I needed 50 quid. I needed every bit I could get. And that was the starting position. That was the early days. It um, It was putting all the infrastructure in place that might bring you new business. And you should do that. But then it was, don't rely on that because that could be out of your control and somebody else's fault. I need to rely on me. So I've got to knock on doors, ring people, and push, speak to people of people who had met. I didn't have that many contacts in business then because my family's not uh from from that kind of world so um i had to get out and that's what i did what do you think going back to
1: the beginning there what do you think are like the main traits or characteristics then that make a successful i guess it's business person in general but specifically salesperson i, I bring this up as well because i know you shared recently um is it the sportswear brand you've got um at the moment. You said then there was the marketing agency, 50 quid a month. And I know you said you still get the same buzz and thrill from selling a 20 pound top on online for the the new brand. So just linking it to that, what do you think are the main traits then that a salesperson or someone that wants to be successful in business really,
0: really needs to have? I think the thing is, is regardless of what the channel is of performance, you need to be hungry. It's as simple as that. Whether you want to be the heavyweight champion of the world, you won't do it if you're not hungry, right? if you want to be a good salesperson, you ain't going to be if you're not hungry, you know? And that's, when you're, when you're employing sales, salespeople, it's very, very difficult to find which ones are genuinely hungry and which ones think they're hungry. Because you can't kid whether you're hungry or not. The results in the end are going to speak for themselves. So when I set out and I've got to pay, I actually bought, uh, my first office was on Dean's Gate in Manchester. Can't remember, but let's say that was two, two, some people start off in the bedroom or in David Lloyd, in the gym, you know, where they can just go in. <laughs> I wanted the pressure. So I said, I'm gonna get an office. And it was about 2000 square foot in Manchester. So I don't know, let's say it was three, three grand a month, four grand a month. Then I needed to pay back, then probably I needed two and a half, three grand, two and a half grand a month to live on. I think it was at the start. And then you've got all the other bits. So all of a sudden I've got to do 10 grand a month, right? I can't get this off the ground until I do 10 grand a month. So I'm under pressure. I'm under pressure now. That's the first thing. And I'm hungry to get to a status. Or I'm hungry to get to a milestone. Right? Because whether it's being rich or whether it's having freedom or whether it's having a nice car. All those things are milestones further down the line. My original milestone is I can't fail. I just can't fail, so I've set myself up with some pressure, and I can't fail, so I'm burning inside with hunger. I will do whatever it takes, and I think that's how you, how whether whichever way you put a salesperson, whether you put them into a job, whether you're a graduate, whether you're setting your own business up, whether you start it's your tenth business, right? We talked about the sportswear brand; is about my fourteenth business or something. And I'm as hungry as selling a T-shirt today. Well, I'm more hungry selling a T-shirt today at the start of that project than I am about Cedulo, which turns over tens of millions, right? So I get more of a buzz, right? In the overall, it means less selling one T-shirt or not. Um, But, you know, I'm finding myself now, my missus helps run the brand, and she does run the brand, and I help her a bit. But I'm there at night, I'm ironing, I don't even iron, I'm there, I'm ironing the shirt, she's doing a pop-up at David Lloyd, and I'm ironing the shirts and I'm putting them in, and I'm packing the car, and sometimes I've got to go and set the rails up for her, and some people are saying to me, you're 44, Paul, right, and what on earth, you've got 200 staff, what on earth are you doing, going back to doing that, you shouldn't be doing it, but I love it, and I'm hungry, why am I hungry, I'm not hungry, in one in any way, shape, or form about our web brand. Um, I'm not hungry in any way, shape, or form about how much money it's going to earn. Because the truth of the matter is, if a sold to do I will not have to work ever again. I'm hungry to make it happen. I'm hungry to make it work. I'm, I'm scared of failure. And those things create the desire, the passion, the determination, the discipline that you have to then put around that. Right, they're all the things that you need. It's behaviors, and here's some of the things that I think in the past I've always been a target driven individual early days, and in the end, I changed that to being a behavioral driven individual that hopefully then leads to hitting the right figures. Simple as that. So, salespeople, and you know what? You can't, it's not easy to keep going every day, is it? You know, day in, day out. I've been going almost day in, day out now for 20 odd years and 44. Um, But I've got purpose, that means in the dips, I'm able to rediscipline, refine, you know, find something new. You know, I'm not being, it's not the most politically correct answer here, but sometimes you just go stale. And you need, if you're going stale and you're lacking purpose, and that's relating to a lack of hunger and drive, you actually need to just find something new. So... I do keep, I'm in a sportswear brand, which is completely different. I'm in a nutrition brand. I've got a travel agency. I mean, I go into new things when I feel like me, who's a pretty full-on um, character, I can still get dips. So it's what else can keep me repurposed, but more importantly, determined and hungry. And that's what's going to define whether you sell or you don't
1: a lot of really useful and valuable stuff in there and um, I know Lizzie's going to kind of touch on be the standard and high performance surely so I don't want to eat into that too much but just on hunger you mentioned a lot of people say that they have it and a lot of people actually do have it how do you when looking to then you know, are investing people bring new people into as you do though, the other businesses how do you distinguish
0: the difference between the two very difficult isn't it right it's very difficult because when you get into the top, the closer you get to performance, the narrower those margins get. So if you're in a graduate pool, right, you've probably got the ability. I'm just trying to get make sure I get, uh, make sure I get this right. But if you, what I'm trying to say is it's very fine margins, and a lot of people believe that they've got all the things that you need to be successful, and then a lot of people haven't. So as somebody who's, who's recruiting, it's very, very difficult in those early, early, certainly in interviews, to, to tell. But what you do want, you know, I had two interviews the other day and somebody said to me, I really want to join your company. I've listened to your podcast. I listened to your first one, which was your journey, and I listened to such and such a thing, right? And so straight away, we've got, I think, this person cares about this job, right? You've got to understand in a graduate pool, mm-hmm. We know everybody wants a job when you're a graduate because you need a job, right? So, but, you, but what, what an, an owner or a manager is trying to look at is how much did he genu- how much can I get the genuine, genuineness out of this individual? Because everybody's going to say, right, so that was the first interview. The second interview was, a, was with a guy. He was hard of hearing and he I started the interview And he could be anyone, and he said, Just so you know, I've got a wear a hearing aid, I'm hard of hearing. Okay. Next thing, we started chatting. He said, I really want to work in your organisation. I've been following it for three or four years. I've identified your organisation as one of them that I want to work for. Some might say that, some might not. Right? Some might say playing the game. He went, I don't think you've got anybody hard of hearing in your organisation. And I thought, he might be right. I think he is. And he goes, And I want to change that tell you what I want to do when I start if you give me the job one of the things I'd like you would like to do is I'd like to go all around your four offices and I'd like to give a talk about what it's like to live in a world where you're hard of hearing because there are things that people who are fully functional from a hearing perspective able to do to make my life as simple and easy as some as anybody else who's got 100% hearing let's just call it for now and he goes and then I think your business can be a trailblazing business for people who are hard of hearing. Do you think I'm going to give him a job or not? Do you know what I mean? He gets, I didn't need to know what his CV was. I couldn't care less about his. He knew our business. He'd researched it. He'd understood it. And it was a non-sales role list, by the way. But the principle's still the same when it, we're talking what you're looking for. And we didn't even talk about his technical... I didn't say, oh, what did you do in your last job? I wasn't interested. He'd sold me a dream of what he wanted to achieve within my organisation, and it fits with my organisation, and he got the job. The third one I interviewed, right? We're on recruitment, so we'll talk about the recruitment. The third one I interviewed, I have, <laughs> I have 15 minutes with every recruit now, or they don't get... Uh, for them to get a job here, because I'm on a cultural mission. Um. And I, 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 um, I, I go, we're on a team's call, 15 minutes, to say hello. She goes, hello. I go, uh, we have a bit of a chat. It's a little bit dry, but sometimes people are shy. So I tried, I said, just park that for a minute. I want to understand about you. Tell me about you. Just talk to me. What, what do you like doing? What do you mean? What do you like doing? When? Well, to, This weekend, what, you, what are you going to do? Like traveling, said okay. Where do you like? What's your favorite place? And that stumped her. She went, Not been traveling (laughs) for five years. And I thought, Well, we've been in COVID and you're 21, which means the last time you traveled, you were 60. You know, there was absolutely no passion, there was no research, no substance by the sounds of it. No, and so the difference between the two was one had researched the business. And you know what? If you want to join a business, you should just join a good one. You know, you should try to go and work in your, the best organizations that you can get in. And when you research those organizations and it comes across, you want to work with them, with their culture, you understand their values and you talk about them. That's how you're going to get the job for a stand. Just fail me once. That's how you're going to get the job a start, um, and yeah, so it, it threw me a little. Threw me out. Um, so that's how you're going to get the job. Now, when it comes to sales, you don't actually know when they start, whether or not they're going to work or not. You don't actually know that, but you know pretty quickly. I know pretty quickly from behaviours. You can tell who. them sorry to say the word bullshitters are. You can point them out pretty quickly. Um, Bullshitters are more more bothered about what everybody else is doing and what's going wrong than they are about what they're doing wrong. Now, I think we're going to move on to high performance in a bit, so I won't go on to it too much. But when you look at top performers, top performers are quite happy. An Olympic gold medalist has been told all his or her life what they're not good at, and they've corrected it. And people who want to do well are happy to accept that feedback. People, if you are listening to this podcast and you don't like to accept feedback, which is, it's got to be put in the right way, right? But if you don't like being told what you're not doing right, sorry, what you're not doing wrong, you don't want to improve and you don't want to be an elite top performer. And I can tell the people that are receptive to positive criticism, positive and negative, feedback, positive and negative. If If you're working with someone who's prepared, To take all that and that feedback loop and that feedback cycle, then you know with someone that genuinely, genuinely wants to have a a good go at it. So I can tell by personalities and behaviours. Yeah. And I think coming back to um, what you mentioned before as
1: well, going back to the interviews, I think the second person you mentioned, they have a purpose like there's a reason why probably underpinning absolutely everything that they do, And, you know, it's no, no surprise that they really stood out, but I think we'll, we'll start to move on to, um, high performance. now. I think we've lost uh, Lizzie as well, but we'll, uh, we'll continue in the, yeah. uh, aid, aid of sales. Um, but just coming back to something you mentioned about motivation before, from a personal perspective, you said for motivation, a lot of people, it's more, I want to achieve this in the future. I want to achieve this. You were quite honest in saying, actually, it was more the fear of this happening. Just share us a bit more about that and maybe now transitioning into how unlocking that can, can actually help you know, performance levels.
0: You see, yeah, 100%. I mean, um, Alistair Campbell, who used to be Tony Blair's right hand man, he did a talk at the uh, Standard, so I've got to know Alistair relatively well. And he's got a book called Winners. And if you ever get a chance to read it, read it. He's brilliant for everyone. He's interviewed everyone from Barack Obama to Floyd Mayweather to Jose Mourinho and... Unanimously, other than one, Every single person that he interviewed, they were driven by a fear of failure, not by the outcome of winning, except Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather was the only one, the boxer, who never lost. And when Alistair asked him the question, what, was you driven by a fear of winning or a fear of losing? He couldn't understand the concept of losing. You can't understand the concept of losing, but and it's incredible actually to have that level of confidence. I certainly don't think it's arrogance, although some might uh, say it is, but to have that level of self belief in reality, I wake up every morning thinking at whatever I've built, I could lose fear of failure. I interviewed Pete Cowgill, who got JD Sports up to 12 billion of uh, market cap business value, and the weight. He's not there now. He's been out about six months, but six weeks. Um, He woke up every day scared to death about going backwards to 10 billion or five billion. And he was driven by the fear of failure. And in many ways, I think that's what most of us are driven by. And if we go back to sales, I think it's the same thing. You know, there's that competition where you want to win, but more than you want to win, you don't want to lose. You don't wanna lose. So, yeah, I think that's where most people are driven by from an an emotional um, trigger. When you get, so so there's that, but when you come to, you know, in life, when it comes to numbers, when I first got a job, I wanted to earn, my target, and I don't know where this comes from, but for every year alive, I wanted to earn that equivalent salary. So when I was on, I started on 12 grand a year, as a trainee accountant, but when I got to about 25, I was on 25 grand a year, something like that. And I thought, I've I've hit my first milestone for me. But let's be honest, Kyle, how long do you think that lasted? It lasted (laughs) about two months, right? Then I wanted to earn 30 grand. Then I thought, God, if I earn 50 grand, that's a load. And by the way, when I set my business up, it was like, if I can do half a million, then if I could do a million, and if I could do two million, then I could do five million, then ten million. I thought there'd be milestones along the way that would give you tick the box, but it doesn't tick the box. So numbers are not a bad driver because they are a KPI that keeps you and, and plus it's like a carrot in it in a cartoon. Just as you get close, carrot
1: you yeah. move it,
0: it's gone. And I don't and I think that's okay. But when you actually understand your real drive, it won't be numbers. Numbers will just be. Um, what do you call it? It's almost like a plastic driver. It will not be. I don't know anybody who's ever hit the number that's been satisfied or felt content. I don't know of a person. I actually don't know of it. Um, you're going to be driven. Uh, you're going to. You're going to. You might be driven by memories. You know. You might be driven because you want nice things. But by the way, when everybody gets nice things, they get bored of having nice things. Some people get the next nice thing and then realise the board of the next nice thing. But it's not, a bad, it's not a bad thing to be driven by money, that's for sure, because um, what money does do is it gives you, it, it opens up the ability to what I think is important, which is memories and life experiences. And um, some people would disagree, but I wouldn't. Um, I've had a lot of really good life experiences. Um and it's all been due to being able to push the boat out every now and then on on spending money, and to do that you've got to earn it. It's simple as.
1: I think on money. Floyd Mayweather probably is one of the ones that really is motivated by money. As i well, seen some of his uh, videos and the
0: amount of cash that that he likes to collect as well. Um, do you know why he, he does it's... that though? Do you know why he does that? What he's actually doing there is he's actually building a persona. Coming back to the pressure I said before. Everything he does, I think people can misconstrue him. I don't know him, by the way. But people can misconstrue him and think he's doing it for... Um, Chris Eubank Jr. has got a fight coming up with Connor Ben, And he's doing similar stuff. I know Chris. Um, and and Chris, Chris will be doing that in the way Mayweather's doing it. It builds a pressure. It puts them under pressure so they can perform at that very minute level that they need to overcome. The, the adversity that they're about to go through. So with Floyd, he doesn't need more money. He doesn't want more money. But if he keeps talking about the best ever, just that, forget the money part, the best ever he talks about, that puts him under all the pressure he needs to not cut corners. And in life, I think we should all have stuff like that. I've gone out and I've, been, I've sometimes said things that I think people could think, God, that's really showy off of you. That's really boastful. And I'm not actually that, I'm I'm not, you know, I've got a six, seven year old car that I drive around, right? And I love the fact that I've just got and it's a bit beaten and bashed up now because I go, I drive to Liverpool, London, Leeds. I go all to my offices all week. I put the miles in today. I haven't started sitting on my laurels. I put the miles in and I'm like, I'm driving around. So I don't, there's no point in me getting a flash car. Um, But I think it's good sometimes when you have those big, big goals that everybody else thinks might be unattainable, and it gives you that. It gives you that. Once you put that statement out, it makes you accountable. Floyd May was accountable for being the best ever, so he can't lose.
1: Who do you think will win on Saturday, Paul? I mean, this will be released after the fight, so we'll, we'll really get to test your predictions here. Um,
0: I am a big boxing fan, and I helped Chris on the. Uh, I'd uh, help uh, Chris on the, on the contracts, but I think he's going to win. I like them both, actually. I like Conor Ben. He's a nice guy. But look at the pressure. Them two are putting themselves under. You know, they're both. If one of them loses, it's, it's, this is more than just a fight, isn't it? This is the name. This is legacy. your family. This is your legacy. This is your history. But you take some real balls to put yourself under that level from both fighters. I think Ubat wins because he's too big. Um, and I think he wins on points. And I don't, and I think that I think nobody loses them, but I think Ben will lose a little bit because his name is then part of the losing Ben dynasty, and for those two who are so high school, but imagine put yourself under that pressure. But every day we can put out, we've got a choice, you know. Every day we have a choice. Do we put ourselves under pressure and see what happens and try to achieve, or do we? Just keep tailoring it back a little, tailoring it back, because you won't be as successful. The more pressure you put yourself on, the more successful you'll end up
1: cool yeah we're in Lisbon at the weekend, so I'll have to find somewhere with uh, with the fight on, but it'd be uh, be interesting anyway, And we'll, uh, we'll come da- come back to your prediction but we've kind of um, we're kind of transitioning onto the conversation now, many um, ways to talk about sport and other things onto high performance, so just want to touch on. Uh, Be The Standard, so it's something that you've launched um, with Sedulo. So look, r- rather than me go into it, please just share with the listeners what, what Be The Standard is and, and why you've kind of even put it together in the first
0: place. Yeah, a couple of things really is, number one, I'm quite passionate about high performance, and I've always had this, um, it's becoming a bit more mainstream, this I- idea, ideology, but, but back when I was thinking about it, it was like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And my concept was we're all human beings, right, and we've all got potential. The only way you're going to fill fill that potential is if you create big goals and have determination and surround that with discipline, right, in order to to create or meet or, or attain those goals. And I could never understand why people think it's okay for Ronaldo, right? This was back when he was at United the first time. People think it's okay for Ronaldo to lead a disciplined life 24/7, 24 seven seven days a week give or take in the food is nutrition recovery sleep all the things that a human needs to perform because he his channel of performance is kicking a ball and yet my team on a monday morning that's so his arena is now old trafford my arena is this where i'm sat talking to you today my offices or clients premises that's my arena that's where i've got to be high performing So, if I'm turning up to my arena, when Cristiano Ronaldo turns up to his arena to perform, the preparation is perfect. If I want to perform today, Tuesday morning, right, on a podcast with you, if I would have gone out last night and had 10 pints and a kebab and got in at 3 in the morning and had no sleep, what kind of performance am I going to give? Right? And the same way, if I do it on a Friday night, my kids need me on a Saturday morning, as a dad, what kind of performance am I going to give when... I don't want to get out of bed, I don't want to play with them, they've not seen the dad all week, and yet all I want to do now is lie in bed all day watching the footy, you know what I mean, and I'm throwing up, and I want, you know, and, I've, and I need hair and the dog, right, so, so that, so the reality of it is, is we've all got our different channels of performance, some of it's been a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, brother, sister, good friend, you know, some of us have got work, we've got, you know recruitment we've got we're in a sales team we're leading a sales team we're owning a business we're playing football it actually doesn't matter it's just a channel of performance so what is it you need to do to make sure you maximize that performance as often as you can can't do it all the time i'm not teetotal can't do it all the time but i can have a general mindset of what does it take to have a high performing human function human performing body and I, I did, so I got to speak to a guy called Kevin Sinfield. Um, he was one of our clients. Kevin's a, a rugby league legend. He's now an absolute legend of sort of fundraising for MND. He's so he doing about
1: six ultra marathons in seven, six days? I've seen
0: seven. Seven, wow. seven ultras in seven days. He's doing in November. He said he'll raise 777,000, but he wouldn't be surprised if it's more like 7.7 7 million. That's where I'm going for. He raised five, I think, on his last one. Um, wow. So, he 101 miles in a day. So, that's just what Kev does. But the one thing about Kevin is, he's a very, very well put together human being beyond all that. And he's a lot of people's favourite sports person. So, even though some listeners listening to this might not know who he is, top top people know who he is. Gold medal winners know who Kevin Sinfield is. Alex Ferguson knows who Kevin Sinfield is, you know. Roy Keane knows who he is because he's got that he's just a, he's just a just a great individual and a great sports person. But I started to speak to Kevin and say, what was everything you had around you to get that elite, high performing human performance that that we don't have as a business owner or a manager or a leader? Oh, it doesn't matter as an individual. We don't have that. And he went round and said, Well, we had recovery experts, we had nutritional experts, we had know diet experts exercise experts we had recovery experts we had
1: psychologists we
0: had all these things around us so you know i've seen a lot of people who are and i'm one of them um, who are like incessantly um motivated right and sometimes that can tip over the edge and it become harmful um And we all need to be careful of that in all our jobs. If we're in sales jobs and we're accountable, you're under pressure every day. We need to be careful of that. So we need to do things every single day that reduce the stress bucket and the pressure bucket. Me, for example, dead quickly before carrying would be the standard. Every day I make sure that I drink two litres of water. Every day I make sure if I'm not sleeping and I measure my sleep through a Fitbit or an Apple Watch that I meditate before I go to bed. I make sure I get my sleep scores up. I make sure that I train at least five or six times a week. Um, I, make sure, I make sure that I read, I make sure I take some m- minutes out to myself in a day. Um, I've mentioned water, nutrition, diet. That really means that my stress bucket, when I start the day, is as low as it can be. Because I know I'm going to get things outside of my control, right? Things outside of my control are going to tip me towards my limit. Now, if I start the days a seven out of ten, stressed i guarantee you by the end of the day i'm going to be a highly stressed highly anxious and in the past i've been in a state of panic attacks so so i i live a, a life i reduce my caffeine and i reduce my alcohol um they were i knew there were two other things that i couldn't think of I'm saying on a day-by-day basis that i monitor keep my stress levels down because when you think a big deal is going to go through and something happens outside of your control there's nothing worse but you need your levels of stress as low as you can in order to be able to keep the stress in the bucket you start as a seven you get annoyed because you're late in the traffic or the bus or your train is delayed or you stood up you're at an eight then you're trying to do such and such a thing. you know somebody gives you a grunt in the morning they annoy you you're a nine and then that deal doesn't come through the deal you've been dying for to hit your targets and it was virtually 99 percent there all of a sudden now it's two days go before the end of the month and the stress is too high. Anyway, long story short, so I created Be The Standard to put all those things around real high performing in what what actually is business owners. So we've had everyone from David Hay, Alistair Brownlee, Rebecca Adlington, Gary Neville, Levi Roots, Karen Brady, Alistair Campbell, Sugar Ray Leonard. I've uh, got Nick Leeson coming over in two weeks, who, if you don't know you remember him, he might be too young, but he he, there's a film about him called Road Trader. Ewan McGregor plays him in uh, Road Trader. He actually brought down Barings Bank. He was he was the ultimate city boy, um, and he brought down a bank that was far bigger than Barclays and the UK banks we've got. It was a US bank, I think, um, and he brought it down single-handedly. Um, so I've got him coming over next month. The founder of Reebok. Uh, Foxy off S-A-S-E, who who dares wins? So it's half about, a lot of it's about mindset because a lot of any question you ask me, it's very rare I'm going to answer it with a technical answer because it's not about in many ways it's not about talent it's about preparation it's about recovery, it's about discipline, it's about motivation it's about hunger it's about, they're the things that are going to define whether you're going to be, be successful in your role or you're not
1: how important, Paul, is coming back to, you mentioned meditation there. How important is discipline and consistency and all of that? And the reason I ask, I've heard you say, or we've spoke about before, uh, I think people have asked you about meditation and they said, oh, it doesn't work for me. And you go, how many times have you tried it? Oh, I only tried it once. And the reason I bring this up is a lot of salespeople, I think, fall in the trap of trying something new on a cold call, but only trying it once? Sending a video or a letter to a client, it doesn't work, and we try it once. Like, How important is Discipline and consistency, and all of this.
0: You speak to an Olympic athlete about how they won the two gold medals, like Rebecca Adlington or Alistair brown and they'll tell you it's to do with discipline and consistency. And if you look at talk, talking back to meditation, um, it's I, I find it really strange, right? I mean, I go to the gym most days. Um, if I, if you said to me now, Kale, let's go and run a marathon, there's no chance. No chance. I'm a crap runner for a start. I don't like running, right? But am I capable of running a marathon? What do you think? 100%. Of course I could run a marathon. All of us on this podcast could run a marathon if we wanted to. And if we had the hunger and desire and then could apply discipline and consistency to our training, then we could run a marathon. Right? There's people who are 80 odd running marathons, so we should be able to run one. So... What happens with meditation? So if I was about to run a marathon with you, I'd say, okay, let's go and do 5K. we do two 5Ks and then I'd say, you know what, we're not doing too bad, let's try a 10. And we'll see how we got on 10. And we'd build up to running a marathon. I don't understand how people think they're going to go from a headspace that's completely in... where your head's spinning, you know, you can't see the wood for the trees... If you're as bad as what I got, it was panic attacks, right? And they are horrendous. They are horrendous. You know, well, what are they uh, like, Paul? Like for anyone listening that's... A lot dying. of times you don't know, do you? No, they're tragic. They're like you're dying. What's basically happened is there will be a build-up to a panic attack, and it will probably be you're getting moody, your sleep pattern's not great, you might be getting a bit woozy. And, and what I mean by woozy is... I, I would be playing football for my Saturday team at the time. And I'd think, oh, my heart would feel right. Like, my heart feels, um, you know, I, I could feel pains, bits of chest pains. Then you start to go, is this, I'm like 28 at the time. I think, is this a heart attack? Is, is this like early onset of, of some real physiological issues? Then your mind starts going, right? So then you'll get lots of headaches, so there'll be, there'll be some physical things that are saying your body's saying i need you to slow down it right and it could be lots of headaches like i say it could be the palpitations it could be your mind's just starting to think those like weird thoughts in, intrusive thoughts y- your body's starting to tell you something now at 28 you don't know that 28 you're just like I'm powering on here, I'm getting. I'm out at four o'clock in the morning, I get back up for seven, that's what I do, I'm built for this, you know, it's that kind of thing. When I had a panic attack, that was the body saying, I've given you enough signals, you've not listened, fuck you, I'm taking control. And it takes control of your body. And it, I, would, I can only imagine it to what it's going to be like when you die. It feels like you're about to die. It feels like if we had a battery or a plug, it's like when you take the plug out of a Hoover. A panic attack instantly, instantly switches your body off. So, in the way it switched my body off, is I couldn't walk. My legs just went. Then my breathing started to go, and I thought, I, I, I'm trying to get my brain to override and then of course it's making it worse because my brain is going, my legs have gone, there's less air getting to my legs because my, my chest is now like this, my heart's now starting to ache because it's pumping and pumping and pumping because I'm doing shallow breathing and I'm feeling dizzy because I'm shallow breathing, I've got no air in my in my um, legs which is why they give way because my heart and my lungs and now starting to be, do, 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 do. <laughs> and all of a sudden, physiologically, now your body's gone into a state, and you can't stop it. What it actually does, your body, for anybody that does it, I think there's a, there's only a, because you think I'm going to die, right? And it's tragic. If, you, if people have been through it, they will know what it feels like. Particularly the first few, when you genuinely sit there and think, I'm 28 years old, and I was in a precinct in Point and in Stockport, and I thought, wow. I'm going to die at the age of 28 in the middle of a precinct in Stockport. How embarrassing. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway, long story short, because it is an important point, this, in the industry you work in, uh, because we do test ourselves and we do push ourselves to the limit and we do want to high perform and we do want to beat everyone else and we are scared of losing in our team and we are scared of not being the best salesperson in our team anymore. So we take ourselves to the edge. It's a really important point. Um, I got to that point, and it happened to me then, probably for about six months, every week. And the only way it would go is when I finally got someone to get me to A and E, and then they would put me and give me all the um, what they call the heart scans. I have got what it's called now. The, uh, the heart scans and brain scans. And when they told me it was all right, as quickly as it got unplugged, it got plugged in Kyle. Soon as he told me, your ECGs come back fine, your brain scans come back fine, all of a sudden, woof. And that's how it was. It was like unplugging and plugging in. That's how a panic attack happens. By the way, I didn't finish this. A panic attack, you think, how am I going to get out of this? Your body produces chemicals to solve the issue, right? And you can only be in a panic attack for a state of a certain amount of time. I can't remember what it was now. So if you ever do go into one, right, just for anyone on the call, you will come out of it, right. So you just got to try not to be too afraid because it's pretty terrifying, mate. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, long story short, the reason why I talked about all the disciplines I have on a day by day basis is I can tell you today I'm a three out of ten, right. So I've got a coffee, right. i on. I'm a, I'll have a few beers or a glass of wine on Saturday. Um, to to watch the boxing but if i was an eight out of ten i would be meditating every day i would be on water and no caffeine i would continue with my exercise i would cut out all sugars because it gives you mood crashes as we know every two hours grilling kicks in you either eat more and feel shit about yourself if you're like me or you um, or your mood crashes so i would avoid sugary foods i would stick i'd go on a protein and fat diet I do all this when it's getting to a seven or an eight cow because I ain't taking the chance of going back into that stage where I used to have panic attacks.
1: Please, um, like you said, really important, particularly in the industry, we're in high pressure targets, particularly at the end of month or end of quarters, everyone's being pushed to the limit. And I think there's just little steps there that you mentioned that comes into discipline in, consistency not only with your sales performance but actually just your own kind of mental health and well-being as well and, and that's um, what
0: sports people do kyle i like to learn off sports people when when what they do is they put themselves to the very very limit of pressure and high performance but they don't do it and discount everything else mate they don't do it and sleep poorly drink poorly eat poorly don't meditate they all have meditation and recovery so they really look at um, recovery. And as business people, as employees, or as managers, what we tend to pride ourselves on is how little recovery we need, right? In the early days, all I used to do was go out till two in the morning, right, try and network, get drunk, try and get clients, burn the candle at both ends and get up the next day. And I would be proud of being in work first, even though I'd just been out till two in the morning. You wouldn't get any top-performing athlete being proud of that kind of behavior. They would say, you're mad. And we should approach the same approach in day-to-day life. Recovery to a sports individual is by far the most important thing. Not training, recovery. That's what's going to lead to better performance and and consistent, better training. So we, as, as, if you like, working athletes, I call us everyday athletes. I try to live my life like a lovely day athlete um, with an eighty twenty rule, and Sometimes I break it, you know. If I go away to Marbella for August, I'm not going to live an 80-20 rule. But the day I come back, I get back into an eighty twenty rule. That's the key, is to get back to that discipline and consistency. And I think they're rules for life then. That's whether or not you're trying to, if you want to get sales this week, you've got to be disciplined and you've got to be consistent. If you want to le- lead a nice life, you've got to be, Disciplined and consistent. If you want to be good at football, because you play Sunday football for your team, you've got to have some discipline and consistency. The rules of life are Yeah.
1: No, really, really insightful stuff. And um just on the the topic of high performance, I mean we could I'm conscious of time, so we're fastly approaching uh, the time we had put in, but it's really good stuff. And I think to summarize there, if you're working in sales, discipline, consistency, um, not just trying something once and then saying it didn't work, you know, you have to keep on going, keep on doing it again. And I think coming back to be the standard, you almost surround yourself with other high performers, people that you can learn off. So people in your team, your managers, maybe even externally as well. Surround yourself with high performers, be disciplined, be consistent. Um, and that's a way to, to make
0: sure you're achieving what you what you set out to. Hundred um, percent. I tell you what, you're the smartest person in the room, you need to change rooms. Yeah. That's what I would say to salespeople. You know, if you're the smartest person in the room, over a period of time, you'll become stale. That's the point where you need to change rooms and test yourself. You need to go outside of your comfort zone and test yourself. Um, Too many people avoid that. Tell you one thing I've always done as well, Cal, from a sales perspective. Um, I don't sell the most anymore in my uh, organisation. I'm quite proud of that. Some people get egotistically scared of that. I'm really proud that I don't sell the most anymore because I did probably the first 12 years and for the last two i don't i'm actually quite proud of the fact i've helped develop other people that are now contributing to the sales funnel um and i feel like my advice to some of the more to some of the people there in sales is um to leave your ego at the door i think that's sometimes where we let ourselves down um we do become a bit too Billy Big Balls, and we don't actually need to be. There's no reason. Actually, what we need to do is build other people around us. That will help us grow. Everybody grows when everybody grows. So I think that's one tip that I would say to people who who are listening in the sales. The other thing I would say is this. I'm, as you know, I'm quite loud and I'm quite outspoken on views. You haven't got me on politics yet, but quite outspoken. on Coming on to that. Yeah. Um, What I would say is this. I give myself, I feel, a position to be outspoken because I behave with integrity at the heart of everything I do. And what I've also realised about sales is this. Sometimes it's tempting to make that sale. When in your heart of heart, you could put the candidate with the the organisation because you need to hit that figure that month that might be the deal that takes you to your target or over your target or into your next banner or into your next... I've always resisted the urge to do that if it's not the right thing to do. And I can't tell you 13 years on, some of the relationships I've got and some of the clients that I've got, which, which are huge and I'm proud of. There's been times 10 years ago where I've known those people lesser And i could have broken a deal or done a piece of work that wasn't quite right for the client but it earned me money and i've resisted that i've resisted that the that that ability to do that and it's always held me in good stead it's always helped me develop relationships and it's allowed me to be who i am it's allowed me to be outspoken because it comes from a place of integrity. So if I was speaking to again, if I was speaking to a team of salespeople now, one of the main things I would say is don't always think so short term, because you could ruin a relationship by hitting that could earn you fortunes in the future. And I've earned for you know, I've earned fortunes off deals that I've done 10 years after with a guy that probably would have walked away from me seven, eight, nine, ten years ago if I would have done another deal that he would have done if I told him to do it. Do you get what I mean by
1: that? Yeah, no, it made sense. And I think it's so important because particularly again, in in sales or just in business, it can take us so long to build relationships or to get that client on, but it really doesn't take long at all to potentially lose it. And by doing something without integrity or not doing the right thing, you're very much at, at danger of doing just that. So I think it's particularly again in the sales industry, I think it's really, really good advice. Um, You mentioned then we've not spoke about politics yet. This absolutely is not a political podcast at all, but quite naturally with uh, what we want to touch on next, uh, we may hear some of your opinions, Paul, we'll see. But um, with you being an accountant, as you said uh, at the beginning of the episode, um, there's been quite a few changes since we last spoke um, with the economy, whether that be exchange rates, slumping, U-turns in policies, um, everything is ridiculously expensive, mortgage rates, et cetera. So it'd be good just for the, the listeners really to get your thoughts on the economic landscape over the next 12 to 18 months, and, and advice you would have for, for salespeople selling through it?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be tough, there's no doubt about it. Would you? It's been quite weird the last few years because it's quite cyclical, you know, it's quite cyclical since the Second World War. You get an up, you get a dip, it tails off, you get an up, you get a dip, it tails off, you get an up, but it does tend to do that, you know, if you look at house prices, if you look at stock markets. They all go up if you drew a line. And it usually happens about every 15 years, that cycle. So, would you want? Because we had the crash in 20, 2008. So, would you? A recession. This time we've had COVID, which held us back. We've had Brexit, which has caused us problems. Um, we've had God knows how many political leaders in the last four years, I think four um, now. So, it's been quite traumatic, really, for the economy. Um Nevertheless, it looks like we're about to go into the next recession. Um, what happens during a recession? First of all, there's winners and losers, right? Not everybody loses in a recession. So put yourself at the point where you're of the right, you're of the right ilk, whether that's learning training, whether that's personality behavior, hard work, you know, businesses will go bust and businesses will win. People will lose their jobs. And other people will win, that's what happens in a recession, so it's not all bad. The other thing to note about a recession is they don't last forever, right? So, if it does get bad in a recession, it's not the first recession we've ever had, right? It's about the 15th or 10th in the last decade, give or take. So, we will come out of it, and there will be opportunities to come out of it. Um, in terms of how it's looking, we I mean, politically, we're in a mess. Um, we're really, really right, ra- right wing at the moment, and I'm somewhere in the middle. And what's going to happen, I think, pretty soon, is we'll be we'll have a general election soon, and what we're thinking, I think, Labour will get in. And when Labour get in, um, I think we need it. I think we need Labour. I actually think, coming back to complacency, you know what I said before: if the smartest person in the room, you need to change rooms. What's happened is. is We've had Tory government now for 15 years, and they've become, I wouldn't say the smartest people in the room, but what they've got, done is become complacent with that, and they've gone really far right, which is why they had, they've cut tax for all the wealthy at a point where we are facing austerity, which is criminal, really. And it just shows they don't get in any way, shape, or form the mood of the nation. So what I think will happen is Labour will get in, and they will bring us back to the left. They'll bring us a little bit more to a socialist, and we need to care about people. And so, I think it's the right time to be in a recession to have people running the country who care about people. So, that's my politics side. But if so, so what will happen is there will be a bit of a mishmash of jobs. You know, uh, the recruitment sector is absolutely buoyant at the moment. And I don't think there'll be a recession in the next six, nine, 12 months. So, get in, make hay while the sun shines. If you can, keep a bit aside. Right, keep a bit aside. Don't normally I'm quite an advocate of spending your money, which is a bit weird for an accountant to say. But what it does is it forces you to go and make more. You know, we all know when you start getting um, when you start getting um comfortable, you maybe lose a little bit of that edge and a little bit of that hunger and a little bit of that work ethic that got you to where you are. It's very hard to keep going. Um the recession will keep everybody edgy. That's not a bad thing. So I wouldn't be too worried uh, in sales per se. Um, I think the recruitment sector will not continue with this wave of buoyancy that it's just had. And I think it will start to become hard again, right, to get the sale and get the deal, get the client. So if you ride in the wave now, my my key thing is don't be complacent. Because everybody's riding that wave. You're not a superstar if you're doing good figures today in recruitment. You might be, but you're not certainly a superstar. Because everybody is a superstar. And that never can last for long. So when we have a recession, all it does, Kyle, is it resets. You know, I'm not really scared about a recession. By the way, my business is going to have to deal with a recession. But what will it make me? It will make me re pressurised, we'll put the pressure on me. We talked about it before. It will make me have to challenge where we are and what we do. I'll have to challenge myself. And you know, it will re sharpen, we'll have to re-sharpen our tools. That will be me as a business owner. It'll have to be you. It'll have to be graduates out there, salespeople in jobs, leaders in sales jobs. It doesn't matter who it is, we'll all have to sharpen our tools because it is going to get more difficult to do the numbers you're doing today.
1: And coming on to, you mentioned about money then, um, as an accountant, your advice is to
0: spend it, maybe going against what many other accountants would do. But one thing I was keen to get your thoughts on. I won't spend on, it now. Um, i try and just put a little bit of wool on your back just so that yeah. if it's a rainy day, you've got a little bit of something.
1: Yeah, bit of a buffer. Um, yeah. But on the um, point, what we find is a lot of a lot of graduates, young people get into sales and very early on, they can be earning you know, really good money, big commission checks. And the reality, a lot of people probably do what you said, spend it all on a night out do this do that what advice would you give to people early on in the careers that are finding themselves in a position where you know potentially earning a lot more money than than they may be thought
0: they would be doing Oof. it's a tough question that kyle it's a tough question because we deal a lot with players and the sports people who are earning lots of money we deal a lot with players right who are earning lots of money early doors and they haven't got the mental capacity in the main to cope with it at such a young age And neither did I, and I was an accountant at the age of 24, right? But I didn't have the mental capacity to deal with it. Where it's different for sports people and athletes is they have got a really short shelf life that they're going to... And the worst part as being a sports person is you earn all your money when you're ill, where where you have a complete lack of tools to do right with it. So if it's a sports person, right? And this is why I'm just caveating what I'm going to say in a minute. If I was that was a sports person, I'd be like you. Know, at an early age, you save money, you invest in stuff, you put money away, you invest in different da 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 Now let's be realistic. But because at 35 they're going to end the fight career, end the football career, whatever it is, that is the advice that I drum home all the time to sports people. Well, let's be a bit more realistic now. If I'm me, age 24, and I'm on a certain amount, I'm. So long as I know in myself, I'm going to have the discipline consistent in all of the things we've talked about on this podcast to keep going. I've got year after year after year where my money should go up and up and up and up and up. So what, I'll tell you what I did. I spent it. I got myself a house, by the way. So I, I wanted to get a house and it was a bit easier then than it is today. So one of the first things I would be looking to do is get a house because they, they never, they might come down temporarily, We might see a housing crash at some point, but then the only bounces back and goes up, just like we see uh, the exchange rate crash last week. And now it's back up to 113 to the dollar, which is give or take, 150. It's been about 115, 116 before it. So you do always get a rebound. Um, What I would say is this the earlier you are saving pensions, the better, right? But everybody listening to that is going to think, I'm bothered about pensions around spending the night out. If you read the book, Oh, the book's just escaped me. It'll come to me in a second. But in the book, City Boy, I think it's called. Oh, no, no. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Don't know if you read Yeah, I thought that was the one, yeah. If you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and you put away, I think it's something like $250, it says there, until you're 65. <laughs> You've only put $157,000 in over that year, those years, but it's worth over a million quid at the end of it. The earlier you can put some money away, the better. The earlier you can get a pension, the better. The quicker you can get on the housing market, the better the quicker you know there's all those kind of all those things that you can do as early as you can in your life are going to lead to a better life but let's be honest if you're 20 odd are you really going to be considering that I don't know whether you are if you can well played if you can I don't think it's the end of the world Kyle because I think that in 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 a sales career there's plenty of time for you to push yourself up the ladder to earn more money a bit further on. And I think that's more realistically what people are going to do. Now, if you're, if you're disciplined, but one thing I did is I got straight on the property ladder. I got myself a property as early as I could because the longer you leave it, the more the house prices are going to go up and the more difficult it becomes.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's uh, certainly not easy easy at the moment as well. Um, but I think some some good advice there. Look, time has really escaped us Um so we've got one one more question just to finish off on um, and it's kind of because you mentioned a couple of recommendations winners by alistair campbell rich dad poor dad you've just mentioned them but what's the one book or podcast that you would recommend that everyone listening to this has to has to read or listen to
0: good question my favorite book i mean i read a lot of sports um podcasts because i'm interested in the mindset of an athlete my favorite book is shoe dog by nike and uh, by the nike founder um and the reason why it's my favourite book is this: in a lifetime that we lead, live right now, everybody wants to be successful immediately. There's this immediateness of success, or it's deemed a failure. I've got a sportswear brand you mentioned before, and we do <coughs> two or three orders a day. People think that I've set going to set this brand up, and it's going to challenge. It's not going to challenge anyone for years. And I think Nike, Phil Knight, who founded it. <laughs> he talks about the struggles we should all understand that we all have struggles in any channel of life and the second thing he did was he, he talks about how difficult it was to get i think it was a million dollars of turnover it took him 10 years it took him 10 years to get nike a million dollars now look how big a success nike is now but everything was built underneath nobody sees that but you can read the book and you can hear from the horse's mouth that no success happens instantly. By the way i've seen it happen instantly and do you know how quickly it was taken away from them instantly so you shouldn't wish be careful what you wish for i say you shouldn't wish for instant success you need to learn along the way you need to lose along the way you need to have pitfalls and hurdles and hit barriers along the way so that when you get to a certain point in your career you're able to deal with certain things and you you, it's a preparation period for the future. So even though you might never want to set up your own business, it actually doesn't matter. The philosophy is the barriers and the hurdles and how much painful time it takes to be successful in any channel. And in his case, it was Nike, is there laid out in a book. So I think that's the kind of book. But I like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I think from a working class family where I was, I speak now to my mum and dad about some of the things I do. And it's alien to them. By the way, they used to advise me really incorrectly because they advised me as a working class mentality. And we have to understand in this country, people want the working class to stay the working class, code. People want the working class to stay in their box and stay in their lane. That's why education doesn't teach you how to make money or how to, how to meditate or how to eat properly or how to be a great example of a human performing being. Or it doesn't tell you how to do your taxes. It doesn't tell you how to save for pensions, does it, or how to invest? Why education te- teach you how to how work out the square surface of a triangle? Photosynthesis or so all this? <laughs> exactly. Well, photosynthesis is pretty important in life, by the way. But <laughs> um, but certainly working out what the you know the, the dimensions of a triangle you're never going to use again. So um, on that point, you, you know, I think you, you do have to if you're on the way on a pathway to succeed. You do have to uh, be careful who you listen to, by the way. That is on the anti-flip of what you just said. Be careful who you listen to because there's a lot of podcasters out there that are talking bullshit, right? They're saying things that we've not done. And, um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of people out there who are even well-meaning who might give you the wrong advice, particularly because we live in a system that's trying to keep people down and not propel people up, if you ask me.
1: What a way to finish, Paul. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being on the other side of it today. Um, taking a break from usually hosting a podcast and really appreciate you uh, taking the time out.
0: Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's been good. Thank you so much for listening to the Changing the Perception of Sales podcast. Please subscribe and follow for more. Um, If you like this content, also please check out This Is Prime on all our social media channels and also Kyle Gallagher and Lizzie Formisano on LinkedIn. See you next time.